Hello, welcome to the Charity Impact Podcast, where our purpose is to learn more about how effective charities and individuals achieve social change or social impact. I'm your host, Alex Blake, and this podcast is brought to you by KEDA Consulting, that's K-E-D-A Consulting, where I help charities to develop strategy, secure funding and make decisions to navigate the various challenges and opportunities we face in the sector. This episode is actually more of an in-between episode. It's not a long-form one-to-one interview like we usually do. It's a short clip, just about 15 minutes, from an event we held last year as part of our Grantmaking Trends series of webinars, and I think it's well worth sharing again here. Safina Ratmad, director of the John Ellerman Foundation, gave an inspiring talk with insights on leadership in the sector, as well as some of the big issues for grantmakers around power, transparency and equity, how the response to COVID has improved grantmaking practice, increased focus on diversity, equity and inclusion, and re-energise the art of the possible. Before we hear from Safina, I'd just like to ask a small favour. If you enjoy the podcast, please do follow us and leave a rating or review on whatever podcast in platform you use. It'd be great to hear what you like about the podcast. And I'd also love to receive any feedback and suggestions you have by email to hello at kedaconsulting.co.uk or you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Now, I'll be quiet and you can hear some wise words from Safina. First of all, just thank you for the invite to join you all today. I'm really delighted to be here. The reflections I'm going to share today are primarily based on my experience of working at John Elliman Foundation. And for those that don't know us, we are a medium-sized grant maker and we support UK registered charities delivering nationally significant work in the arts, social action, and environment in the UK and the UK's overseas territories. My reflections are quite high level, I guess. I'm reflecting on what I've been seeing and learning this last year. Uh, Some of it is very much based on practice that we put in place at John Elliman Foundation. You can always find out more about what we're doing uh, either through our Twitter account, which is at Elliman UK, or using the updates from the team section of our website, which is under our About Us section because we blog on a monthly basis on things that are of interest to us. So I'll pepper this with some kind of very personal reflections of running John Elliman Foundation and then some more high level reflections on what this period has meant for the grant making sector and what might come next post COVID-19. So I want to start by saying that I'm a massive advocate and champion for the many positives that underpin the concept of philanthropy and charity. I do believe that philanthropy has been at the forefront of creating and embedding significant and much needed positive societal, economic and environmental change, and that can't be ignored. But I do think that we have to think carefully about how we move forward from the worst aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic And in so doing, we have to acknowledge that we do need to shed some of the worst aspects of philanthropy, uh, such as the power imbalance between the funder and those that they fund, the lack of transparency often within grant making processes, and the inequitable distribution of funding resulting in racially minoritized groups and those with lived experience receiving less funding. I agree very much with Max that in discussions like these, it's easy to generalize and talk about philanthropy as if it's one homogenous sector and it isn't and of course there are philanthropists and philanthropic organizations that are at different stages of our various journeys and towards being better grant makers and 
there are clearly those who are already delivering exceptional work. So my comments do primarily relate to the independent grant making sector and very much reflect perhaps what Max was describing in terms of the ACF membership. So all that out of the way. What do I think comes next for funders and grant makers in terms of our grant making pr practice specifically? So there's two things I thought I'd share today. First of all is how will we as funders really embed the brilliant practices that have been applied in response to the COVID-19 emergency? And secondly, I wanted to share some brief reflections on leadership within the sector and how that can be applied in order to tackle some of these almost intractable issues that we now face as a society, such as the climate and biodiversity crises. So to the first point, has the pandemic enhanced our grant making practice? So in a word, yes. I'll give you a bit of a longer answer than that. So I think the funder response to COVID-19, which I think is best epitomised by the We Stand With The Sector Pledge, which was coordinated by London funders and has been signed by literally hundreds of funders, has taught us an awful lot. It's, for me, I think it's really re-energised the art of the possible. So the pledge, for those that haven't come across it, called for funders to prioritise and offer flexibility, adaptability and support to applicants at and those that they fund. And that's been delivered in a whole range of ways. So some people have launched emergency funds, others converted project funding to unrestricted funding. Some people did away with reporting. Some people released more funds than they had planned to. Others have removed the breaks. Often we ask for a break between a grant ending and someone reapplying. And many more ways in which the sector responded and innovated in response to the emergency. I at one point did wonder whether in our haste to respond, we might end up embedding some of our worst practices because take for example, the fact that we know that there's been an underfunding of racially mi minoritized groups. If we are just kind of further funding those groups that are already within our portfolio, did we therefore risk as a grant making sector only supporting those that were already on our books, as it were? I think in many ways my concerns have been unwarranted. I think there have been positive changes on the approach that the grant making sector is taking towards diversity, equity and inclusion and more specifically anti-racism. That's of course been catalyzed by the murder of George Floyd, the COVID the fact that COVID-19 has a disproportionate impact on black and minoritized communities. And we are blessed to have those working towards racial justice, including the Black Lives Matter movement, supporting civil society and the grant making sector to be better. So for me, I think in the last year, we have seen funders engage with the issue of race and racism in a more meaningful way than they have ever done before. And that's to be very much welcomed. So kind of combining what the We Stand With The Sector Pledge called us to do as funders with this kind of greater focus and more meaningful focus on race and racism, I think the London community response, which was coordinated by London funders, perhaps epitomises some of the positives that we must now hold on to and take with us into our future. So that response has done something that probably a lot of us on this call didn't believe was possible. You know, you had over 60 funders distributing over 50 million coming together using a common application form and embedding things like diversity, equity and inclusion so effectively that they've 
been able to distribute grants at pace and in a way that is representative of the demographics and the needs of London. So coming back to this idea that the pandemic has made us maybe rethink what the art of the possible is, let's use that kind of creativity and innovation as we move forward. And there are of course other initiatives that I want to kind of shout out as being led by and for black and minoritized ethnic groups that again have dismantled some of these stereotypes or reimagined the art of the possible and resulted in funding being distributed in a way that is equitable and meaningful and effective. So the two that I would just mention are resourcing racial justice, which I should flag that John Elliman Foundation provided core funding towards, and also the Baobab Foundation. And these really are initiatives unlike anything we've previously seen in the sector, and we must do all that we can to ensure that they remain centred in our practice. So the response of funders to COVID-19 coupled with the leadership of some of the groups I've mentioned already, do give me hope. They give me hope that as we move forward from the pandemic, the funding community will continue to operate with greater transparency and trust, and that we will continue to centre and empower people that have experienced marginalisation and that have lived experience and therefore are experts in the issues and causes that we care about we should be seeing that experience as being an asset and something that we want to invest in and support. All of this work though does require long-term and sustained efforts. Just because we've been doing it for the last nine to 12 months doesn't mean that we're all good now. It is more than just a hashtag. It is more than just writing a blog. It is about us as funders ceding our power and our privilege and recognizing the power and expertise of the people and communities such as those on this call today, who live and breathe the causes that we care about. So it is only when we truly embrace the notion that applying an equity and justice lens to our work is more than a nice to have or a tick box exercise and recognize it as something that's essential that I think we will be excellent grant makers. And I'm sure from the conversations I'm having both internally and with peers, this isn't an opportunity that we're going to let pass us by. And we're very fortunate that we do have membership bodies like ACF who will keep us in, in check and kind of call us to return to these things if we start to stray. And then we've also got movements forming within our sector like Grant Advisor, who's currently running a campaign called Fix the Form, which is advocating for greater transparency on application processes. Alex mentioned IVAR and its work on open and trusting grant making. And we do have things like 10 Years Time, which is working on making the sector more accessible to and inclusive of people with lived experience and from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds. So I do feel confident that we've got formal infrastructure like our membership bodies and then other infrastructure that will keep us in check as we progress on this journey to really centre and empower the, the people who are closest to the issues and cede some of our own power and privilege. So in the like final few minutes, I just want to talk briefly about leadership within the sector. So obviously the last year has taught us to really embrace, maybe is the word, foster, I don't know, embrace kind of the need to manage within disequilibrium and to accept the need to adapt. And 
that we need to generate leadership, not just in ourselves, perhaps those with titled leadership positions, but in our peers and in our team and the wider sector. So I think there is something about embracing the need to operate within the paradoxes of leadership. So leaders are often talked about as needing to act consistently, but then show adaptability too. And so this does mean that we need to become perhaps less linear in our thinking and feel more comfortable in holding kind of diametrically opposed ideas at once and trying to use those to generate new ideas that perhaps are superior to those ideas in the first place. I think we need to get much more comfortable in embracing multiple working hypotheses and I think we need to get better at delivering a vision from multiple standpoints. It might even mean not committing to grand and detailed strategic plans. It could be about running numerous experiments and giving ourselves a framework through which we can be innovative and creative and test and create ideas. I hope that approach might lead to us tackling the immediate and current challenges more effectively than perhaps we have done so previously. And just, I guess there's four things that I think we need to do as a sector and and in terms of leadership that I hope will support us as we continue to tackle things like the climate and biodiversity crises, anti-globalism, racism, and many other systemic and structural barriers that a lot of you will be dealing with in your own organisations in relation to different inequalities. So the four capabilities that I hope that we'll invest in as we emerge from this crisis are as follows. So the first is sense-making. I think we do need to understand the context in which an organisation and its people are operating. And we need to map out the situations that we find ourselves in and do so from a place of real humility and with a real commitment to learning. This is always going to be a continuous process. The map will only emerge from melding our observations, our data, our experiences, our conversations, our analysis. And it will mean that we need to continually improve and test principles as well whilst we might apply this framework or we might explore that one, but really challenge ourselves to maybe move outside of the existing frameworks and norms. The second aspect that I hope we invest in around leadership is relating. So of course, this is about building relationships within and across our organisations, but they need to be trusting relationships. We need to be more inquisitive. We need to be more connected. And we need to try to understand other people's perspectives with a more open mind and with less judgment and try to create safe and brave spaces in which people feel that they can share their ideas without fear of being ridiculed or ignored or whatever else it might be. The third element is around visioning. So how do we create a compelling picture of the future? We are faced with a huge amount of what are essentially crises and paradoxes and difficulties. So how do we imagine something that supports us to move with confidence towards greatness? And then the final one is inventing. So how are we going to develop new ways to achieve the vision and give it life and give it meaning? Clearly as funders uh, within the sector, there's lots of talk about power and privilege as there should be because we have plenty of both. I've been thinking a lot recently about the idea of quiet leadership. So how, as quiet leaders, we can exercise judgment effectively. And when I think back over the last year, 
it's clear that quiet leadership has had its place in supporting some of the change and progress that we have so desperately needed. Often quiet leaders are the people who might be overlooked for a myriad of reasons. They might not have a fancy job title, they might not be the best funded, they might be smaller, they might be within a niche subsector. There's all sorts of reasons why quiet leaders might get overlooked. Perhaps they've got visible or invisible labels that mean that they are othered. But I find time and again that it's the quiet leaders that have the skills, the capacities, the resources that we need. They've got the ability to sense make, to relate, to vision, to invent. And so they're often the people who are doing the hard work and the necessary kind of background work through which we can form these building blocks that we need to dismantle the oppression or the injustices that we currently find ourselves facing So I guess if I was to kind of bring this to a close, my hope is that in time we'll talk more about grant makers and their role perhaps as quiet leaders that are committed to truly championing civil society to address the myriad of opportunities and challenges we currently face. And the only way that we'll do that and become more of a quiet leader is if we kind of take on board so much of what Max has already shared in terms of using the entirety of our assets to level at these kind of challenges and opportunities we currently face. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Charity Impact Podcast and thank you for listening all the way to the end. Just one more thing before you go, if you enjoyed the podcast please do share it with your network by email or on social media. Best way to do this will be to go to our website kedaconsulting.co.uk where the podcast is on the main menu and you can either share the main page or the specific episode. On Twitter, you can tag me at alexblake underscore K-E-D-A or on LinkedIn, it's just at alexblake. This podcast is brought to you by Kida Consulting, where we help charities to develop strategy, secure funding and make decisions to navigate the various challenges and opportunities we face in the sector. Thank you again for listening all the way to the end. Until next time, take care.